I want to talk with you today, if I can, from the Sermon on the Mount, from several uh, verses in, the, in Matthew chapter 6, in which Jesus is addressing one of the most uh, common human experiences and offering something of an antidote to that experience. And I want to do so um, by drawing on a, a, a metaphor, if I can, an overarching storyline that may help put this together in a memorable way for each of us. It was 105 years ago this month that the most luxurious, most famous, most celebrated cruise ship of all time struck a massive iceberg and plummeted to the bottom of the North Atlantic Ocean. The Titanic tragedy, as you well know, took 1,513 lives with it. In other words, look around you in this room, imagine a similar crowd that's gathered in our sanctuary right now, and about that number of precious souls all lost their lives that day. Hollywood has made the horror of that loss vivid to all of us if we've seen the films. Uh, but what the filmmakers did not really fully address was how the accident could have happened in the first place and how it might actually have been avoided. Many years ago, I, when I was 23 and even younger than those photos that you saw there, uh, I, I spent uh, um, two years of my life in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And uh, during that time there, I had um, a chance to be the guest of the head of the shipbuilders union in the Belfast shipyard. And that gentleman took me on a tour of this vast construction location, and I saw the great big bay where the Titanic actually had been built in Belfast. And uh, the guide that day explained to me that the Titanic had been the first of a whole new breed of kind of, of sailing sh ships. Uh, that, it, that it used a, uh, an engineering approach that is now standard in shipbuilding today. It not only had a, a double hull, but its internal parts had been segregated into 16 separate compartments, any four of which could be uh, uh, broken into, violated, torn apart, and the ship would still float. And this technology had been used ever since then. The problem, as most of us know by now, is that when the Titanic struck the iceberg, five of those 16 compartments got ruptured all at once. And, and furthermore, the compartments themselves had been constructed in such a way that while rooted to the bottom of the hull, they did not actually go all the way to the, to the top. And so there was an opening at the top of each one of those 16 uh, compartments, such that as each compartment flooded, water spilled over the top of the bulkhead into the next compartment, flooded that one and the next one and the next one and the next one, until, of course, the end result was absolutely catastrophic. Now, shortly after these particular events took place, and while it was still very much the buzz in the news of that time, a man by the name of Dr. William Osler uh, was called upon to speak to a group of students. 
Osler is the father of modern medical education. If you're a doctor here, you know this name. Uh, he was a, a, a legendary figure even in that particular day. And uh, shortly after the events of the Titanic sinking in 1912, Osler was invited to come speak to a group of students at Yale University. And he used this recent news event as, an, as, a, as a metaphor or an opportunity for addressing um, the students of that time about how to handle the kind of sinking feeling that all of us get at one point or another in our lives uh, as the result of worry and despair. And, and what Osler went on to talk about on that particular day at Yale University was about the importance of learning to live our life in what he called day-tight compartments. Day-tight compartments. Compartments that are sealed from top to bottom from the deluge of the past at one end and the flood of the future at the other end. Why is that so important? Why is it so critical to learn to live our lives in these day-tight compartments? Well, I imagine some of us in this room could, could probably give an answer to that question. Uh, some of us in this room are, are living lives right now that are somewhat waterlogged by the past. Sometime back in our journey, uh, long ago maybe, maybe fairly recently, uh, something very significant happened. A relationship was broken. Uh, a, a deep need of our heart and soul was not met by somebody who might have met it or maybe should have met it. Or, or we committed some kind of, a, of an error of judgment or an act of commission or omission that, that led us to a tremendous sense of moral failure in our lives. Or we suffered a wound or a humiliating loss of some kind. And, and we just cannot forget what happened there. We'd like to, we try to, we push it away, we deny it. But it just keeps overspilling the bulkhead of the past and swirling about our feet, even now in the present. And, and, and it chills us and it freezes us whenever we think about it. It keeps sweeping us off of our feet sometimes when we're not even thinking about it, surprisingly coming back to us. And we're suffocating at times with, with an anxiety or fear about the reality of whatever that was. And we think to ourselves, maybe it will happen again. Or maybe other people are going to find out about it. And, and it leaves us flooded and swirling more often than we would ever like, even now. Maybe for you, it's actually the bulkhead of the future that's the bigger problem. It's the gap in that particular bulkhead at the top that, that creates issues for you today. What you find yourself feeling is these waves of worry coming over at you about all of those things that, that might happen or might not happen as you like, and this just makes you gasp when you think about this. You're thinking to yourself, how will I ever pay that bill? How am I ever going to handle that particular problem or that particular person in my life? Or what if the college I wind up isn't a good one? Or what if it isn't the right one for me? What if I don't like my roommate? My roommate rejects me. What if I don't find love? What if I can't get a job? What if that relationship never gets any better? 
And the waves and waves of worry over that toss us over and over at nighttime. We're, we're rolling, just roiling inside of our stomach, dealing with the anxiety of these things. What do we do about these waves of worry and despair that overcome us from the past and from the future? Well, many, many years ago, a, um, a very wise Scottish pastor by the name of George MacDonald described the phenomenon this way, and I just want to cite his words. And it's a provocative thought. Think about what he says here. No one ever sank under the burden of today alone. Just sit with that thought. No one ever sank under the burden of today alone. It's when yesterday or tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight becomes more than one can bear. Never load yourself so, says MacDonald. And if you find yourself so loaded, at least remember this, it's your own doing. It's not God's. He begs you to leave the past and the future to him and to just mind the present. This, of course, is what Jesus was getting at in his famous comment in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, when he says this, Who of you, by worrying over the past, can add a single hour to your life? Actually, we know what happens when you worry over things. It shrinks the hours of your life. And, and why do you worry about tomorrow? For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Believe me, Jesus says, today's trouble's enough for you. It's enough for you, enough for today. Now, at our clearest moments, we get this, don't we? I mean, most of us in this room are going, yeah, okay, this makes sense to me. At least we get intellectually this kind of wisdom. The big question is, how do we actually do, as these scholars and Jesus himself is suggesting, how do we actually seal off these compartments uh, on either side of us in time? In William Osler's terms here, how do we shut an iron door in our soul upon the past? And his, he says, upon the dead yesterdays, the petty annoyances, the real and the fancied slights, the trivial mistakes, the disappointments, the sins and the sorrows, even the joys whose memory keeps dragging us down. How do we shut off that bulkhead so it doesn't work into the present world in a damaging way? And similarly, how do we maintain an iron bulkhead against the future? Uh, against the unborn tomorrows, says Osler, the dreams, the, the delicious fantasies or concerns, even when we know that tomorrow actually has no certainty except through today. How do we do this? Well, I want to suggest to you today that if there ever was a prayer or a, a, a mental mindset, an orientation or attitude of the soul that has the atmospheric pressure to drive the waters of the past and the future out of our lives and free us up for the potential of now, it's this little line that Jesus gives us earlier on in his teaching on the subject of worry in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and this is a prayer that you have said thousands of times, many of you, but maybe not thought about it, 
or leaned into it in the, in the way that all of us could. Jesus says this in Matthew 6 and verse 11, pray then like this. Pray like this. Heavenly Father, give us this day. Father in heaven, just give me this day. In other words, every time you feel the water of worry uh, wet around your feet, when you're worrying about all the stuff that might happen or that you're going to be asked to handle in the chamber of the future or the very moment you first feel that wash of despair gnawing at you over all that didn't go right in the chamber behind you, ask God to give you this day. As soon as you feel it surging, I'm just stopping. Lord, just give me this day. Just give me this day. Ask him to help you focus your intention on the people that you've got the ability to love today. You may have blown it in your loving yesterday. You may be uncertain of your ability to love tomorrow. Ask him for the ability to love, to lean towards the good of another today. Ask God for the ability to, to focus on the sweetness of life you can taste this day. One of my favorite stories is the guy who is being chased by a lion through the jungle, and to his utter horror, he reaches the edge of a cliff. And he, and he hears the lion coming after him and snarling, and he looks down over the edge of the cliff, and down at the bottom of the, of the cliff, there is a river going by. Good news, bad news, alligators snapping up out of the river, just drooling with anticipation of their dinner. So what does he do? Either way seems to be a problem. He chooses he's going to jump. Maybe the fall will kill him. He's plummeting down the side of the, of the hill, of the cliffside, when all of a sudden a branch sticking out from the cliff snags his, his clothes, and he's suddenly suspended there in midair, dangling between a terrible danger and certain catastrophe below. And he looks back over his shoulder, and there at the very base of the branch where it goes into the hillside, the roots are clinging to the hillside, and there are little mice gnawing away at the branches, <laughs> the roots. Not good news. This is a bad day, right? It's a bad day. But he notices that there against the, the cliffside, there's this little dirt that's clinging to the hillside, and there's this there's this little burst of green, and he notices there's a strawberry growing there. And it's big, and it's ripe, and it's luscious. And he reaches out, and he plucks the strawberry, and he looks at it, and, and he puts it in his mouth, and he bites down, and its sweetness and juices run down his chin, and he thinks, what a great strawberry. Maybe your life is just suspended in some disastrous location. Where's the strawberry? Ask God to show you the strawberry. Ask God to give you the capacity to live by his patterns and priorities today. Maybe you blew it in the past. Maybe you don't know how you're going to do that in the future. Ask for his ability, the clarity to just take a few steps by his priorities and patterns this day. And then just watch how the floodwaters of the used to be and the might not be or might yet be begin to recede out of the chamber of your life. And you'll find yourself with a greater peace with which to live 
the Christ hallowed now. Just try that. Somebody wisely observed, and I've shared this with you on another occasion, that yesterday is, is history, and tomorrow is mystery, and today is the gift. That's why they call it the present. Hold that in your mind and ask God to give you this day. Remember, of course, that the greatest presence you have in the present is the presence of Jesus with you. The one who says, never will I leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the very end of this age. Believe me, he has your past completely covered by his grace. The grace he poured out on the cross covers everything you've blown. Everything that's, that, that you've lost is covered by that grace. He has got your future taken care of by his providence and his power to redeem and resurrect and renew. He's covered those things. The only thing he asks you to do now is just live in the present. Live today. And that will bring you a greater measure of peace. So when you feel the waves of despair or worry washing over you, just ask God to give you this day. But secondly, when you do that, ask God for bread instead of for cake. There, there's this bad religion going around in our world today in which um, we're given this encouragement to, uh, to ask God for anything. Uh, and it, it's a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that kind of looks at God as sort of the cosmic ATM. And if we just push the right code, you know, he'll just give us everything we could possibly dream of having. Um, and, and God does want to bless us. Don't get me wrong on this. And he is able to give a, 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 an abundance to us that we couldn't find any, any other way. But he doesn't function like this. God does not promise, promise us a seven-layer cake kind of life. If he did, he would never have let his son suffer. Uh, you know, if he did, he would never have let Jesus go through the difficulties. Or Jesus would never have said, in this world you will suffer, but be brave. Uh, God is somebody who meets us at a time when, in our lives when, we, when, when it's natural for us to want all kinds of things. Uh, we may want a, a, a birth in first class rather than way down in the bowels of the ship in life. Uh, we may want him to zap the iceberg before it hits us in this world. We may want him to, uh, to heal the gash in the side of our, our boat when the hull is torn open. But, but God, generally speaking, chooses much more modest means to save us. Um, and, and instead of giving us what we want, he, he gives us what we need. Uh, so, so, for example, he gives us the strength just to keep treading water sometimes, till the lifeboat arrives. Or, or he gives us a, a sense of direction with which to swim in the dark. Or he gives us the gift of a brother or a sister who, who, who puts their arm around us or grabs hold of us when we're sinking down and, and can't keep our own head above water. Or maybe as the Hollywood film actually depicted of this, maybe God gives us the Jesus-like honor of sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others for the sake of another. The Bible is clear. There's going to be cake. There's going to be more than seven-layer cake in the kingdom of God at the, at the banquet table. But in the meantime, his invitation to us is to ask him for, for daily bread. 
for daily bread. Because when we ask him for that, we shall receive. He will give us what we need. Um, you know, I've always been fascinated when I, when I look at this prayer of Jesus by the fact that it is offered in the third person plural and not the first person singular. Have you know, ever noticed that? Um, Jesus says that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread, not give me this day my daily bread. Why, what's he getting at there? Why does he, he put it that way? It's as if I think we're meant to ask with an awareness that others are needy too. We're meant to go about our lives conscious of our needs and our hungers and so forth, but always with a consciousness that, that others are needy too. Uh, earlier, Victor mentioned that there were tough times in the life of, uh, in, our, in the journey that we had with Christ Church. And we did. We had really rough times days in the first few years here as we were implementing changes that were very hard for the body and I made a bunch of stupid decisions and you know I was young and dumb and 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 very sure of, overly sure of myself in lots of ways and um, and it was a it was a very tumultuous time I, I remember thinking uh, I am the unintentional interim I'm, I'm I will not make it here I've, I've ravaged this place I'm gonna leave it broken and I'm gonna have to go I was just really depressed. I was worried about this. I was tossing and turning over and over in the night about these things. And the worst part about it, of that kind of sleepless worry and despair, was I felt so completely alone. I felt like it was just, I was even shut off from Amy. I mean, I was just, I felt like it was all on me. And I was so alone. Sometimes, sometimes we get this way when we're really worried or really despairing over something. Maybe you're in that place right now. You think, I just feel so alone. You're not alone. You're not the only needy one. You've got brothers and sisters right here in this room that feel some of what you feel and who care for you, especially if they knew that you were feeling what you're feeling. You know, the worst tragedy of that April night in 1912 when the Titanic went down was that so many people lost the ability to see others. They just were focused on their own aloneness. They, they were just so drawn in by the crisis. There were other vessels, for example, nearby that could have given aid to the ship if somebody ha had been at the radio listening or, or, or if there had been more efforts to, to radio out. Most of the Titanic's lifeboats, as you probably know, still had plenty of room in them. I mean, hundreds more people could have been saved. Only one lifeboat went back to try and find stragglers in the water. Only one of all those lifeboats went back. Now, the good news is that God has promised that in the end, he's going to repair with his grace the really gigantic gashes in life. That's the promise. I'm going to make it all new, Jesus promises us. But in the meantime, he is asking you and me to, to play a role in, in, in ministering to others who also have needs in our lives. He asks you and me to be really tuned in and courageously responsive to the cries of the people around us. You're going to hear them today. You're going to have a, a, a passing conversation with somebody, and you're going to hear a little tension in your voice as you ask about their life. And, and, and you can easily 
ignore it or you can move towards it and try and understand better. What are they worried about? What are they despairing about? Jesus counts on us to help seal up the cracks in each other's confidence uh, by companioning one another in the journey. He calls upon us to try and lift up other people uh, when they're sinking down and to move over and make room for other people uh, in, in our lives, in our boat, to share whatever bread we may have with one another. This is his call. So in summary, if, if the Titanic could talk to us today, I, I think it would say that the airtightness of one's compartments counts. Um, the, in fact, the truly Titanic one, God himself, says the same thing about the day tightness of our lives. And it's not that we must never reflect on the past, right? The Bible is full of encouragements to remember. But, but notice when you read the Bible, the call to remember is to remember how God's grace worked in the past. It isn't to remember all the pains and the losses and the failures. It's to remember how sufficient God's grace was for us, that he got us through. So there's some remembering like that. Think just back about all the times when it was so awful, it was so dark, you'll never get through it, and you did because of God's grace. And it's not like we're never supposed to look towards the future. Again, the Bible is full of encouragements to plan, to count the cost, to prepare ourselves, to get ready. There's a, a certain amount of, of future casting that, that's, that's a healthy thing, but it's, it's focused on the constructive act rather than the horror of what might happen. Do you see the difference? Um, so Jesus just wants today to be our primary focus, where our major passion is, uh, to ask God for the bread that we need to do what, uh, what we can now, uh, to remember that as Jesus once fed the 5,000 with the offering of just a simple boy who brought his food uh, he has given all of us, actually, the capacity to strengthen each other for this day. And um, you might just look for opportunities to do that uh, with somebody else even today. Let me just close by saying that for two years, um, or for years, two great questions about the Titanic tragedy um, haunted people studying it. Uh, trying to understand the fullness of what happened on that particular day. And the first question was, how did an iceberg happen to stray that far south to the point where it would be in a shipping lane? How, how did that happen? Uh, what was such a massive hazard doing that far south? It wasn't until the Titanic's final resting place was, was pinned down and, and, and identified clearly that... Um, Researchers began to understand the full picture. It, it was not simply that a, that a big iceberg had strayed unusually far south. It, it was that the great ship itself had strayed unusually far north. Far north. The second question was how, how even a big iceberg like that one must have been could do so much damage to a ship with such multiple reinforcements and, and structural precautions. And here, too, the mystery of that wasn't pieced together until um, people studying it went back and interviewed former crew members, the ones that had survived. And what they discovered is that when she hit the iceberg, the Titanic was moving at 22 knots, 
which was an ungodly dangerous speed for any ship of that day to be moving. And the captain of that ship, you have to conclude, was just so sure of himself, so, so confident that he was living in an absolutely unsinkable craft, that he did not need to check his course, he did not need to check his speed, he just needed to plow on towards his ambitions, which was to get there at a certain time. Now, is that true of you and me? Are we just so confident of our unsinkableness that we're not checking our bearings or our pace? I think the final benefit of asking God to give us this day our daily bread is that very prayer is a reminder to us that we are needy creatures, that we are vulnerable, that we are dependent, that we require grace every single day. We can't command it, we can only ask for it. And I think as, as we confess that on a regular basis to ourselves and to others, it, it serves as a reminder for us to slow down and, and to check our course often. And we begin to realize how essential it is for us to, to receive what God is offering to us. Um, not just on Sundays or Saturdays, or at Sunday school long ago, or at that retreat I went to one time, but to seek his grace daily. Uh, like, the, like the Israelites in the desert were given the manna, the bread from heaven, and they discovered that it spoiled, it only lasted a day. Every day they had to gather it afresh. Every day they had to consume that grace afresh. So, so let today be the day for you. Uh, ask God to give you this day. Ask, ask God to give us our daily bread. Ask him to give it daily. Go out for a walk this afternoon. Ask him to show you whether you're moving too fast or maybe too slow. Or, or ask him to re-magnetize your tiny compass against the great direction finder of, of his word and his spirit. Ask his help and that may be of somebody else around you in, in, in trying to, to seal off the past and, and, and to deal with the, the gaps in the future uh, so that what rushes at you from those different places isn't such a, tr a trouble for you. And you can embrace the opportunities of today. Remember this as you go today? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is mystery. Today is a gift, which is why it's called the present. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for this day, for the sufficiency of your grace for this day. Help us to lean into it, to enjoy it, to savor it, uh, to share it with those around us trusting in you. Fill us with your peace, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.